Welcome to the LSE Events Podcast by the London School of Economics and Political Science. Get ready to hear from some of the most influential international figures in the social sciences. Welcome. Uh, I'd love to like to welcome you uh, to the launch of this uh, report today, uh, Central Banking uh, and, and Supervision in the Biosphere, an Agenda for Action on Biodiversity, Financial Risk and System Stability. This event has been hosted by the London School of Economics uh, on behalf of the NGFS, the Network for Greening the Financial System, and also the Inspire Research Consortium. My name is Nick Robbins. I'm a professor in practice for sustainable finance at the LSE, and I've also had the pleasure of being one of the two co-chairs along with Dr. Marjun, uh, of a year-long uh, study group on biodiversity and financial stability. Uh, and this is the group that produced the report. Um, so the study group brought together two initiatives, the Network for Greening the Financial System, a coalition of, about, of 108 central banks and financial supervisors with 17 observers. And the other partner was uh, the International Network for Sustainable uh, Finance Policy Insights, Research and Exchange, which is a research stakeholder of the NGFS and with research projects around the world, and which I uh, co-chair. Before uh, we go through the format uh, for today, I'd like to say a word of thanks. First, thanks to the over 100 experts that contributed to the final report uh, that you have before you today, which has just been launched. Um, Experts from central banks and supervisors, from research institutions and other financial institutions, really for your contributions, uh, your input papers, and your enthusiasm. The results we see today is really would not have been possible uh, without you. So thanks to the study group. And then thanks also to the NGFS for its partnership with Inspire on this collaborative exercise. Um, I'd particularly like to acknowledge uh, the ECB's uh, Frank Elderson, uh, the previous chair of the NGFS, who helped get the study group underway and who we have with us uh, today, as well as Ravi Menon, who is the managing director of the Monetary Authority of Singapore, who is the current chair of the NGFS, and like to acknowledge his continuing leadership on this agenda. So to our proceedings for today, um, we all know uh, that biodiversity loss is severe. Um, from the scientific analysis, we know that this is threatening uh, the habil- hability, um, habitability of the planet, uh, is threatening uh, future economic uh, prospects. What we're looking at today is why and how central banks and supervisors can respond to the risks, this loss of biodiversity, this degradation of nature, how they, wh- how they can respond uh, within the financial uh, system. First, we'll have uh, Dr. Marjun, uh, my co-chair for the study group, who will re- present the findings and recommendations of the report. Dr. Ma is advisor to the governor of the People's Bank of China uh, and is also chair of the NGFS workstream on research. He will also be outlining how the NGFS will be taking forward uh, this agenda based on the, on, on the report. Then I'm delighted to have uh, with me today a panel of real leaders from the world of central banking. We have Frank Elderson, who I mentioned before, who's a member of the European Central Bank's Executive Board. Welcome, Frank. Uh, we have Sylvie Goulard, uh, Second Deputy Governor of the Banque de France. Uh, again, welcome, Sylvie. Great to have you. Uh, and then also we have uh, Otavio Ribeiro de Marso, who is Deputy Governor for Regulation uh, at the Banco Central do Brasil. And all three organizations were very active members of uh, the study group. Uh, there'll be a chance for you on the call to ask your questions. So as you listen to the discussion, uh, please do submit your questions through the Q&A function. We'll try and take as many of these as possible. 
so without further ado, I'd like to hand over to you, uh, Dr. Ma. It's been a great pleasure to co-chair this study group with you. And I'd like to hand over to you to make your presentation of the results, the recommendations, uh, and the next steps uh, that will be taken as a result of this uh, study group report. So Dr. Ma, over to you, please. Thank you very much, Nick. Can you hear me okay? Perfect. Great. Uh, let me try to share my screen. Can you see this, Nick? We can see it. Great. You just need to go back to the front. That's right. Exactly. Perfect. That's the front, right? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, now let me thank Nick, uh, um, my co-chair of the study group, uh, for actually doing most of our work, uh, especially all the um, organizing work for the uh, research activities and the discussion. Um, and uh, my special thanks uh, goes to uh, Frank Elderson, uh, who is a former chair of the NGFS, for his strong support for this joint study group by NGFS and INSPIRE. Um, in the early days of the NGFS, uh, Frank has uh, uh, already been very supportive of the view that uh, NGFS uh, uh, should start with climate, but it should not be limited to climate. And we should be looking at a broader range of sustainability issues, including environment, biodiversity, and so on. And his support enabled the creation of the study group, which is now uh, presenting. So it's really my honor and pleasure to uh, have the opportunity to present on behalf of this joint study group, the key findings um, of uh, the report, uh, which is produced by more than 100 members of the uh, uh, study group. The key message, um, three things. Number one, addressing biodiversity-related financial risks falls within the mandates of central banks and financial supervisors. I think this is by far the most important message we are trying to deliver today. Um, back uh, a few years ago, I was talking to some central bankers and supervisors on this question of what we can do uh, on biodiversity. A typical reaction I get is, uh, why should we care? Um, we central banks and supervisors have our mandates, which are to keep inflation low and to, to maintain financial stability. So why biodiversity is relevant to these uh, mandates. So what we're doing now, uh, in fact, uh, in this report is exactly to answer this question. And our answer is that uh, biodiversity loss uh, will create financial risks. And therefore, it's relevant to central banks and supervisors, which care about financial stability and loss of biodiversity may also uh, have inflationary implications, uh, which uh, can work through the uh, supply chain and the economic activity channel. The second message is actions are already being taken by some central banks and supervisors, but further efforts are needed. And our study group report outlines five recommendations that central banks and supervisors can take as next step. And the final message, which is already presented, I think, one hour ago by the NGFS press release, uh, stating that the NGFS welcomes the recommendations made by this report and will establish a biodiversity task force to mainstream nature-related risk across its activities, especially across its uh, work streams. Um, just a few uh, points on the study group itself uh, that was uh, established about one year ago, a joint effort of the NGFS and INSPI, and it involved initially uh, 50 members, 50 people of about 50 organizations, half of them coming from NGFS members and the other half from research institutions. And now we have more than 100 um, participants 
coming from 25 NGFS members, uh, namely central banks and supervisors, and also uh, 28 research institutes. It's co-chaired, as Nick said, by myself representing NGFS and Nick representing Inspire. We so far, uh, actually, uh, as of yesterday, published already two reports, one vision paper in June and one interim report in October. And now this is the final version of the report, which is a 100-page long. And we take uh, uh, most of the uh, contents from early reports and now looking at uh, the uh, options already taken by central banks and supervisors on biodiversity-related issues and uh, making a set of recommendations uh, for actions going forward. So starting with the question of why should central banks and financial supervisors care about biodiversity loss? Our points are, number one, our economy and financial systems depend on nature because uh, biodiversity enables nature to be productive, resilient, and adaptable. And in fact, uh, according to some studies, half of GDP uh, in major sectors such as uh, uh, agriculture, uh, fishery, forestry, pharmaceutical, tourism, transportation, retail, and some manufacturing are heavily dependent on nature. And the biodiversity is being depleted uh, systematically, and this will bring significant impacts on the economy. Here are two charts we took from the Living Planet report, which is produced by WWF. The first one is an indicator called the Global Living Planet Index. It's one of the aggregate measures of the level of biodiversity. It measures the population of over 4,000 species monitored across the globe. And this chart essentially says over the past 50 years, the index has declined by 68%. The second chart shows the fresh water living planet index, which measures the abundance of population of over 900 species living in the water. And this index has come down by 84% in the past 50 years. So if we are doing extrapolation, let's see a linear extrapolation, I think these indices are going to zero in the coming few decades, which will have catastrophic consequences for economy and living environment. Um, the impacts of biodiversity loss on different countries are different. And uh, the World Bank study are saying that uh, on aggregate, the uh, collapse of six ecosystem services could cost global GDP um, of 2.3% on annual basis. And uh, its impact on low-income countries are much bigger. Uh, for example, for sub-Sahara Africa, that impact could be as much as 10% of GDP and also fairly significant for South Asia. What are the financial stability implications and policy implications? We understand that the, the primary responsibility for confronting the biodiversity crisis rests with the government. In many countries, I think uh, these are the environmental ministries, and they need to uh, work out the measures to overcome the market failure, institutional failure, and policy failure uh, that are driving the uh, ecosystem decline. But actions by central banks and supervisors can play a complementary role in protecting nature and biodiversity by reducing biodiversity-related financial risks and help guide financial resources to support nature-positive activities. And uh, for us, uh, namely the central bank supervisors, the more important message is that addressing biodiversity-related financial risks falls within our mandate as biodiversity loss can lead to financial risks, including physical and the transition risks. 
Now, let me get into these two concepts a little bit more. The uh, physical risks arising from dependencies on ecosystem and uh, transition risks arise from the impact of economic activities on biodiversity. And here are more sort of precise description, physical risks that results from the degeneration of ecosystem services on which economic activities depend. Uh, it sounds abstract, but let me give you two examples. Globally, 235 to $577 billion of global crop production depend on animal pollination. Just imagine the disappearance of animal pollination is gonna to lead to a drastic reduction of crop production. And therefore, investments in such production process will suffer greater losses. And the second example is the $600 billion of consumer spending is on eco-tourism, which is reflecting the recreation value of the ecosystem. And if we don't have the recreation value because of loss of nature and biodiversity, then a large part of $600 billion will be lost and therefore resulting financial risks for those who are investing in the eco-tourism industry. The other concept is called transition risks. Um, it's resulting from the misalignment between the firm's impacts on biodiversity and developments aimed towards achieving a nature-positive economy. <laughs> Sounds an awkward, long sentence, but uh, again, let me give you two examples to illustrate uh, this concept. Um, DMB estimated that uh, a 30% decline in protected land and sea areas, which is a government action to protect nature, would almost double the risk exposure of Dutch financial institutions to 28 billion euro. A similar story actually happening in China. Uh, in China, the government expanding the area protected uh, zones and those activities already happening in the zone, including real estate, mining, and the manufacturing companies, they are being shutting down, uh, being shut down uh, because of the extension or expansion of protected areas. And uh, these government actions certainly would uh, lead to financial losses um, for those who are investing into uh, these activities. The second example is the consumer preference. In the US, consumer preference for a plant-based diet resulted in a 36% increase in sales of plant-based milk and a 12% decline in sales of dairy milk. So uh, it's a consumer preference change, but also reflecting technology change could lead to decline in economic activities in the dairy milk industry and therefore financial loss for the investors. Um, again, transition risks uh, is reflecting a combination of two things. One is negative impact of companies activity on biodiversity. And the second one is the developments. It could be government policy, it could be consumer preference change, it could be technology aimed towards protecting the nature. And these risks, uh, as we described, I, are micro um, to start with, but uh, they could have a macroeconomic implication. So once they're aggregated, it could lead to a macroeconomic deterioration in some extreme cases, and it could present a threat to financial stability. We also looked at the uh, need for integrated approach towards analyzing climate risk and biodiversity risks. Just look at this chart. Uh, there's overlapping portion of the two circles, uh, which are the uh, overlapping portion of the climate-related risks and the biodiversity-related risks. And that part reflects the common drivers for these two 
change, biodiversity loss and climate change. For example, land use change and deforestation uh, could do both. Uh, just take deforestation as an example. Deforestation will reduce the uh, forest's ability to absorb carbon and therefore contributing to climate change. At the same time, it acts uh, for uh, biodiversity loss. Um, moving on to options for addressing these risks. And we have seen some emerging options already from um, a number of central banks and supervisors. Just to give you a few examples of our survey. Uh, we identified the seven emerging options in different, um, uh, using different instruments. And uh, here's one of them, which shows that uh, seven central banks around the world have already done some assessment on the exposure of their financial system to biodiversity loss. And uh, the chart on right-hand side is showing the physical risks and it's measured largely based on the dependency of economic activities, um, of those activities financed by the banking system um, on biodiversity. And uh, Malaysia is probably standing out. Um, it's uh, uh, at 54%, namely 54% of banking uh, uh, system portfolio are heavily dependent on biodiversity. And uh, there are other examples of central bank supervisors taking action in the area of potential uh, consideration, taxonomy, disclosure, and portfolio. For example, the uh, Central Bank of Brazil, uh, ECB, Monetary Authority of Singapore are already working on including biodiversity in climate and environmental risk analysis. In China and the Malaysia, the central banks are including biodiversity consideration into their green taxonomies. And the Bank of England, uh, the Central Bank of France, uh, ECB, and the uh, Financial Service Agency of Japan and Bank of Mexico are uh, part of the TNFD already, are looking into how to improve disclosure of nature-related information. And uh, a couple of central banks, including uh, from France, Italy, and Switzerland, are working on integrating biodiversity into the investment portfolio, uh, namely central banks' ESG investing. Still, these are very early stage efforts, and uh, we need to look beyond um, and uh, identify specific options for central banks and uh, supervisors to address biodiversity-related risks going forward. And here are the five recommendations coming out of this uh, NGFS inspired final report. Number one, recognizing biodiversity loss as potential risk, uh, which is essentially saying that the recognizing is a part of your mandate for central bank and supervisors. Second one is on building capacity uh, for analyzing these risks. Third one is on measuring exposure of financial system to such risks. And fourth one is about uh, managing these risks. And finally, on creating the financial architecture for mobilizing financing for a positive, um, nature positive economy. Let me give you a little bit more details of these five recommendations. I'm sure our panelists will uh, elaborate more with real examples. The first recommendation on recognizing biodiversity loss as a potential risk, which certainly entails the need for developing a response strategy. And we think financial authorities could include biodiversity loss within the green finance and environmental risk management frameworks, taking an integrated approach that highlights the linkage between biodiversity and the climate change and engage in dialogue with governments, especially environmental ministries, to talk about how to coordinate on biodiversity-related policies. 
Number two on capacity building, uh, we're talking about developing skills and capacity among central banks, supervisors, as well as market participants on analyzing biodiversity-related risks. Uh, this would include international efforts on training, capacity building, and also research. And we, a study group, uh, actually developed a research agenda as part of this report on specific items to close the knowledge gap, including our modeling, our data, our metrics, and so on. Number three, assessing the degrees uh, to which financial system exposed to biodiversity losses. And these refers to the uh, physical risk and transition risks. And uh, uh, we should also uh, look into the usage of scenario analysis and stress testing, uh, which are mimicking the work done on climate-related risks. And uh, uh, we should also be uh, working on the creation of a dashboard of biodiversity-related metrics. Uh, here is a framework for how uh, scenario analysis could be done. This is looking very much like a climate risk uh, scenario analysis. We're just replacing one box uh, in orange uh, uh, with the biodiversity-related shocks. And you can see the shocks can be physical or transition in nature, and uh, they will have macroeconomic consequences, they will have sectorial consequences, and they will then have impact on companies' financials and these financials change will eventually result in change in financial risks, for example, in the form of increasing non-performing loans or in the form of decline in equity valuation of investments. The fourth recommendation is on exploring options for actions to manage biodiversity-related risks. This includes uh, reviewing existing supervisory frameworks and developing supervisory expectations and assessment program that could address financial institutions' governance, risk management, strategy, disclosure, and financial conduct. And finally, building the uh, necessary financial architecture for mobilizing investments for a biodiversity-positive economy. Uh, the difference between four and five are essentially four is on risk management and five is on mobilization of new money for nature-positive economy. And under uh, five, uh, we're talking about contributing to or leading on the development of biodiversity-related taxonomies, um, encouraging ESG rating to include biodiversity, exploring options for integrated approach to address uh, biodiversity-related uh, consideration in monetary policy operation, including potentially the usage of uh, monetary policy instruments to guide resources into nature-positive economy, and incorporating biodiversity protection into central banks' investment portfolio. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, this is a type of ESG investing of central banks. My final page is uh, about the NGFS uh, press release. I think it was uh, out back one hour ago. Um, it's uh, <clears throat> talking about uh, the next steps for the financial sector on biodiversity-related issues and about itself. Um, in terms of next step for financial sector, the NGF press release is calling for the building of a scientifically grounded analytical framework to assess interaction between nature and economy, bridging the data gaps and using this new framework and data sets to align policies with the environmental sustainability and informed assessment of nature-related risks. For NGF itself, uh, it says we are welcoming the recommendations of this report and they will create a task force to mainstream the consideration of nature-related risks across its activities 
especially across its work streams. So uh, let me conclude by saying that uh, this NGFS statement today represents an important milestone in NGFS history, indicating that it is beginning to move beyond the initial focus on climate risk and begin to extend its coverage to a wider range of sustainability issues, especially nature and biodiversity. And I strongly believe that uh, this will happen to many central banks and supervisors in the coming few years. That's it of my prepared remarks and uh, back to you, Nick. Well, wonderful. Thanks so, so much, Dr. Ma, for giving us that uh, whistle-stop tour, I think I call it, of this 100-page uh, report. And uh, for those of you on the call, I'd really uh, urge you to have a look at the statement that uh, Dr. Ma was mentioning uh, from the NGFS about how to address uh, nature-related risks uh, as part of the overall responsibilities of central banks and supervisors. I just now want to turn to the panellists um, who, uh, who are lined up here to really get your reflections, your first reflections on the report, the statement and this moment we're in and, and how we take this agenda forward. So first reflections, I'd like to turn to you, um, Frank Elderson, if I may, um, uh, and get your, your, your first round of thoughts. So please, Frank, over to you. Well, well thank, thanks, thanks a lot, Nick, and uh, wonderful to be here with, uh, with you, Mayun, uh, Sylvie, uh, Otavio, really a, a pleasure. Now, um, let me go back a little bit in time. When the Central Bank Sense and Supervisor Network for Green and Financial System was founded in December 2017, the eight founding members, um, we took a very conscious decision regarding the name of the soon-to-be-born network. We did not say it was going to be the network on climate risk management. We didn't say it's the network uh, on making the financial system pairs compatible. But we mentioned we wanted to be called the network for greening the financial system. And this broader scope is fundamental. And it is explicitly laid down in the NGFS uh, charter that refers to climate and environmental risks. And, you know, I vividly remember uh, the discussions that we had four years ago. I remember the room where we were in. I remember who was sitting where and I remember who said what. Um, and we variously, very, very um, uh, consciously decided uh, to explicitly uh, lay down in the charter uh, of the NGFS that we would focus on climate and environmental risk. This was four years ago. And um, the same fundamentally broader beyond climate scope was also explicitly reflected in the first comprehensive call for action report that we published in 2019. That was three years ago. And that seminal groundbreaking report that has been cited over and over again now, uh, identified compelling reasons why the NGFS should also look at environmental risks relevant for the financial system due to their idiosyncratic materiality for financial institutions and the financial system, but also due to, and, and Dr. Mayun has just uh, recalled that, uh, due to their, to their interdependency uh, with climate-related risks. So already in these early days, the NGFS expected that over time, more resources would indeed be dedicated to analysis of environmental risks. Biodiversity-related, nature-related, and environmental-related risks are in the very DNA of the NGFS. And this was complemented by another landmark report, the NGFS 
occasional paper on environmental risk analysis published under your leadership, uh, Dr. Mayu. Uh, um, and, 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 and it's very clear that you have been a very vocal pro proponent of this broader view uh, from the very, very start. And that report was um, published in September 2020, one and a half years ago. Now, in spite of all these achievements, uh, I think that we have to admit that until now, progress uh, of the work by central banks and supervisors and the international standard setting bodies, I should say, as well, on integrating environmental risk in their work uh, with, let me say also that, some notable positive exceptions, but by and large has advanced less than the integration of climate-related risks until now. Because, and this is today, uh, this new Inspire NGFS report confirms the conviction that we as founders of the NGFS had in late 2017. And that is reflected in the statement of the NGFS today. And I think it's very um, um, uh, important that you, Nick, you, Mayun, you have referred to this already, because I think it's a hugely important statement. Nature-related risks, I'm just citing, nature-related risks, including those associated with biodiversity loss, could have significant macroeconomic implications and that failure to account for, mitigate and adapt um, to these implications is a source of risk for, for individual financial institutions as well as for financial stability. In a nutshell, nature-related risks, biodiversity loss-related risks are within the mandate of central banks and supervisors, squarely within our mandate. Thus, it is not a matter of principle that the work on environmental risks is less advanced than the work on climate. It is only a matter of putting it into practice. And with the matter of principle definitely out of the way with today's reports, um, it is clear that we can no longer drag our feet uh, with the putting into practice part. It is simply vitally important that we do so with great urgency. Indeed, while the analytical frame of climate-related risks can be largely transposed to environmental risks, these latter risks come with their own unique features and challenges. For example, biodiversity does not have one single metric, such as CO2 equivalents, which figures prominently in climate discussions. So one needs to look at many more metrics, such as nitrogen, uh, phosphorus, uh, and others. So let me emphasize, look more, not look away. It is encouraging indeed to see that the report identified 45, 45 specific actions by central bank and supervisors around the world in terms of research, policies, and engagements. 45 specific and concrete actions of looking and doing more. Now, um, I had the privilege of being involved in what today's report mentions as one of the first attempts of a central bank to quantify the extent to which supervised institutions are exposed to risk um, from the loss of biodiversity. And this was the exercise done uh, by the Nederlandse Bank, by the Dutch Central Bank, when I was still board member there. And we learned a lot about the materiality of the risks of biodiversity loss and also about how to analyze them. And then uh, Dr. Mayun referred to this. Yet, and this is why I mentioned this now, the most important learning to me coming from that exercise was something different. 
What I learned was that if we truly want to understand all material risks that supervised entities are exposed to, looking more also requires inviting more sets of eyes, more expertise. For the DMB analysis at the time, we cooperated with the Netherlands Environmental Assessment Agency because they are experts in the field of biodiversity. And this thinking is also signified by the involvement of so many in establishing the report that is launched today uh, with the critically important role of the Inspire Network. Let me just say this very clearly, uh, Nick, I think that you are doing wonderful work. Um, the report's clear messages building on the 45 experiences that are already out there confirm that if one is ready to look more, one will also find more on how to incorporate environmental risk in the work of central banks and supervisors. We need to bring this work up to speed in line with our climate-related work, and we need to do so now. The materiality of environmental risk does not allow us to look at these risks in subsequent steps, first climate and then in 20 years, we bother about uh, biodiversity loss. We've just seen in the graphs shown by Dr. Mayu, if you extrapolate these, um, these diminishing uh, lines, uh, there will not be any biodiversity uh, to be uh, to be saved uh, by that time. So we need to do this at the same time. We cannot ignore one set of material risks because we consider that we are presently already rather busy focusing on another set of material risks, especially if these two sets of material risks, climate and biodiversity, are interrelated to a very significant extent. Banks must manage all their material risks and supervisors must supervise all material risk so that banks do so. Turning a blind eye to an important source of material risks is simply not an option. Our mandate does not allow for us to do so. So let me conclude, um, at least this part, uh, Nick, because I know you're already looking at your watch, by paraphrasing uh, Professor Dasgupta, humanity is embedded in nature. And I would like to expand that, therefore, by saying society and the economy must be embedded in nature. Finance can only thrive if it is embedded in nature in a truly sustainable manner. Dr. Mayun, Professor Robbins, friends, what was embedded in the NGFS's DNA from its very conception has found a concrete exp expression in today's report and has thus been brought to life. And this work is of vital importance on the road to reconciling finance with nature and thus sustainably embedding finance in nature. And this work is of vital importance, therefore, on the road to greening, to truly greening the financial system. Thank you. Hi, I'm interrupting this event to tell you about another awesome LSE podcast that we think you'd enjoy. LSE IQ ask social scientists and other experts to answer one intelligent question. Like, why do people believe in conspiracy theories? Or, can we afford the super rich? Come check us out. Just search for LSE IQ wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the event. Wonderful, Frank. Thanks for that, that, that perspective and actually showing how this really relates to that sort of founding mission, really, of, of, of the NGFS. And thanks for your, your remarks. I think particularly 
the 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 clear sense that this is no, there's no there's not an option to turn a blind eye either as banks and financial institutions to uh, material uh, biodiversity risk or indeed for supervisors themselves. Um, I'd like now to turn to to yourself, uh, Sylvie Goulard at the Banque de France. Really, your your thoughts of what, where we've got to with this—a very complicated issue—but um, your sense of, of of both the findings of the report and also sort of where where institutions such as the Banque de France go forward. I'd really like to hear your thoughts, uh, Sylvie. Thank you very much, Nick. And um, let me first really express my gratitude. Because we are here, we comment, but the work was done also by others. And as you know, the, the Banque de France is hosting the secretariat of, of the NGFS. There are many people working on this in my team, in your team, Nick. Uh, of course, we, nothing would have been possible without the very strong leadership of Frank. And I can stress it, what he, what he told us represents exactly the feeling we had, a passionate share of the NGFS. And I know, Dr. Majoun, the role you are playing as it is a global issue and, and the cooperation with you. So let me say my gratitude to Roman Schwarzman, to Simon Dikau, and all the ones I cannot mention. Why is it important? It's not just to begin with some things. It is because it is a global issue. It is a complex issue where, as Franz just stressed, we need to combine expertise, we need to uh, have a, a large team of people working together. And this report is a teamwork. And I'm glad also that so many students and, and young people are listening to us. Uh, I will not be too long in order to get your, your question. So this report is very clear. I, I found it very easy to read. It is not only for specialists. Uh, look at the boxes, for example, in, on many points, you have definitions, it's very pedagogical, many things were said on the number of central banks doing things. But to, to put it in, in I, I intended to say, as Frank said, that yes, we are embedded in nature, and if I may, can make a small joke, even central bankers are embedded in nature. This is a little bit the message of this report. Uh, financial risk stemming from biodiversity loss can have implication for financial stability and the functioning of the economy at large. So it is our business. Uh, we should care, as Dr. Majun said. And um, that is the reason why we have to take care of this. And we can, by taking care of this, have a signaling effect uh, for the markets. We are actors, among others, and we respect very much what is done by some private actors. Maybe we will talk later on the TNFD, for example. But public authorities can also give a signal which is of a very specific nature. So this report is clear. It is easy to understand, and it is a wake-up call. We are less advanced than on climate. This is absolutely clear. Uh, the risks are growing. The report mentioned that uh, biodiversity is declining at unprecedented rates in human history. And I don't know you, but I have a little bit of feeling reading these reports. Ten days ago, it was the report of the Malaysian Central Bank that we know. We know what is happening. Of course, as Das Gupta would say, it is silent because nature is silent, but we cannot say that we are not aware of the dependencies. And I want to say how much I appreciate that not only Majung is with us, but also Otavio Ribeiro Damaso 
from Brazil because it is actually a global issue. I will not insist enough. The Malaysian paper was written also with the World Bank and we could reach quite soon tipping points. Uh, and as we have this growing body of empirical evidence, uh, it is a call to action, it should be a call to action. So which priorities very rapidly, it was said before, increase awareness first. Uh, it is not less important than climate, it is not less urgent, and it is connected with climate. Uh, the report mentions the risks of negative trade-offs if we deny this nexus, but there is also a positive side. When you fight against deforestation, as Dr. Majun said, you can also help keeping um, means to, to, to capture, uh, to capture uh, CO2. Uh, so increase awareness. The danger in front of complexity is sometimes, and it's very human, say, oh, it's so complex. It is so huge. Should I really try to do something? Yes, we should, we must. Second point, we can use some of the tools already developed for climate. In the central banks, we have already looked at our own monetary portfolio. We know it is a matter for financial stability. And for example, the report proposes to better assess the exposure of the financial sector to biodiversity loss. Um, that is the reason why the task force the NGFS is about to launch will be of the utmost importance. We have already developed skills and, and tools for supervisors in the banking sector above all. Uh, the TCFD framework was used by the TNFD to encourage disclosure, uh, which would be easier to, um, to shew, if I may say so. And we also have decided in the European Union, uh, the Eurosystem, uh, to go green on climate uh, uh, in terms of monetary policy. And in Marseille at the last uh, UICN Congress, Christine Lagarde mentioned one of the papers we did at the Banque de France written by Romain Schwarzman and others. So the awareness is there. So let's try to use the, 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 the experience of climate. And at the same time, and I could not agree more with Frank Anderson, we have to adapt them because the two circles of Dr. Majun showed there is an overlap, but it is not exactly the same thing. So we don't have one metric like the CO2 uh, tone uh, or, 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 or temperatures. Nature-related issues are often sector-dependent on earth or at sea, between agriculture and other fields. Uh, the regional aspect is very strong. I'm sure that Otavio may tell us more on rainforest than I could. And many of the impacts are indirect and they require ad hoc framework models. Uh, this is clear. And that also this complexity, which requires more skills, it was said, it, was, it is one of the recommendations of the report. My very last point, let's be inclusive. As the report stresses rightly, central banks are not alone. Public authority have a role, or authorities have a role to play in adapting and enforcing preservation rules, adopting taxes, incentives, taxonomy, disclosure, it is not our business. But if they do, we will act in a more efficient way. And the private sector, companies, but also consumers can be, um, can be really helpful. Make your choice in, uh, in a manner which is uh, taking into account nature and biodiversity. NGOs are triggering us. And let's hope that uh, ostriches, do you say this in English? 
will not be the only species to survive because you know what I mean by that is that we cannot refuse to face reality no matter how complex the issue is. We should not behave like ostriches. We should work together, but this is very encouraging. So thanks a lot, Nick, for the support you provided as well. And thank you for the discussion. Fantastic, Sylvia. And I really liked your remark about the inclusive nature of the response to biodiversity loss and the decline of nature. I think hopefully what uh, the, the study group has done with this report and then the response on the NGFS is, is show where central banks and uh, financial supervisors fit in the solution set broadly, given their particular mandates. So we have, uh, we've had some uh, participants from, from Europe, we've heard from Dr. Ma in, in, in Beijing, in China, we're going to go uh, across the globe uh, to Brasilia, to uh, Banco Central de Brazil, to you, uh, Otavio, um, fantastic to have you. Um, it'd be really good to get your, your thoughts again, uh, strategically, the, the central bank, I think, has been one of the, the leaders in integrating uh, ESG and other, other factors. Where, where do you see the report's findings and, and the next steps for you? So, Otavio, please, over to you. Okay. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. Nick, Silvio, uh, Frank, and Dr. May. Uh, it is an honor to be invited to speak in this memorable occasion for which I thank the organizers. On behalf of the Central Bank of Brazil, I want to complete the NGFS and join NGFS inspired study group on biodiversity and financial stability for the launch of this report, which I believe will be a landmark help to shape the actions of central banks and financial supervisors around the world for years to come. Uh, the final, final report contributes decisively to the discussion about biodiversity related risk to financial systems. It assembles element, elements for understanding financial exposures to biodiversity related risks, critical challenges to the financial system in responding to biodiversity loss, and options for central banks and financial supervisors to address biodiverse laws, along with practical recommendations for action and a prospective research agenda. Uh, I think uh, the report also brings an important conclusion. Biodiversity laws could have significant macroeconomic implications. Failure to account for, mitigate, and adapt to these implications is a source of risk relevance for financial stability, a statement that I totally endorse. Climate change and biodiversity are intrinsically linked. This link brings the potential for risks to compound and create systemic dislocation. Central banks and financial regulators around the world are already aware of the risks posed by the climate change. And now an integrated approach to these twin tricks is essential. Central banks and financial supervisors can benefit from the conclusions and insights from the report. It puts together emerging operational approach to identify and assess in biodiversity-related financial risks and suggests a useful research agenda. But most important, the report highlights that biodiversity loss is a source of financial risks 
and thus falls within the mandates of the central banks and financial supervisions. Supervisors. As stated in the report, inaction is a growing source of risks and we should start acting immediately. Uh, the discussion about the biodiversity related risk to financial system is particularly important for Brazil. We are the most biological, bi biologically diverse country in the world, account for 15, 20% of the world's fauna and flora diversity, with more than 100,000 animal and 400,000 plant species, comprising 7% of the world's catalog animal and plant species. Brazil is a count of continental dimensions with six very diverse biomes, Amazon, Cerrado, Atlantic Forest, Caatinga, Pampa, and Pantanal. Over the past 15 years, Brazil has established a robust set of environment laws, regulations, policies, and instruments to combine economic production and ecosystem conservation. The most important is the National Forest Code. Such framework has helped to control the deforestation and to protect the new conservation areas and indigenous lands, while also curbing greenhouse gas. This framework, along with the deployment of public finance, helped the achievement of significant results, such as significant increase in agricultural productivity without the, without the necessity of opening up new lands and developing of a market based on private green finance instruments. Central Bank of Brazil has a long tradition in regulate, regulating the financial sector aimed at a more vulnerable biomes such as Amazon and Pantanal. Such biomes also receive special treatment in our forest code. Recently, the Central Bank of Brazil reinforced its deep engagement to this agenda. In September 2020, we launched a new sustainability pillar in our strategic agenda, which encompassed several different initiatives. Following this agenda, after a broad consultative process, with the national financial system and Brazilian society in general in September 2021, we published a set of regulations that improve the integrated risk management framework by financial institutions, by including the management of social environment, it is important one, environment and the climate risks. Within the prudential framework, biodiversity loss is treated as an event of environment risk. It is in our framework. Nevertheless, we are already considering revising this framework to improve its approach to the risk of biodiversity loss due to the potential relevance to this risk in our context. So this, is, uh, this event is, it is too much important and uh, I would like to congratulate uh, all that participate in the, this final report. Thank you. 
Octavio, brilliant. Um, thanks so much. And as you say, Brazil, the importance of biodiversity is so important as you are the most biodiverse country in the world. And the, the, the steps you've already taken, I was interested to hear in your last comment how biodiversity is a reflection of the environmental risks you've acknowledged in your work, and you were thinking of uh, revising that uh, further. I think we've got a great set of questions coming in. Thanks so much. Keep them keep them flowing. I think one of the themes in some of the questions, and we'll go to specifics maybe in a little while, is um, really how we translate this general uh, recognition of the importance of biodiversity into specific um, into specific actions. We have a question from Nathan Dariba Sellier saying. This report looks looks all very good, but actually, how does this translate into particular actions? So I'd like to maybe turn to the uh, the panelists, maybe bring your, yourself in, Dr. Meyer, as well. So uh, back to yourself, Frank. Um, we've heard a little bit from Otavio about how this recognition is starting to move into uh, supervisory frameworks. That's something I think you've been looking at within the ECB. Can you give a sense of how this sort of broad recognition gets translated into the granularity of, of, of supervision. Thank you. Very good. Uh, thank you, Nick. And, and thank you also for the underlying question of, uh, I think Nathan, you mentioned, uh, who asked that. Um, and I think that is exactly what we uh, expect from this audience to, to be sharp and to say, okay, this is all very good and well, but what are you doing uh, about this? So I think uh, that is a very good start of the question. Now, so what is the ECB supervision doing? In uh, late 2020, um, we uh, published supervisory expectations. So a, a document saying what we expect banks to do uh, in terms of climate-related and very specifically environmental risks. Um, so we knew that this work that is being pre presented today was already going on. So we included this in these supervisory expectations. So all banks know that we expect them to also look at this. Um, and we made it concrete. So uh, we talked about loss of ecosystem services, water stress, biodiversity loss, resource scarcity. So a number of elements that, that are sources of financial risk. And um, um, we expect banks to evaluate all environmental risk related information beyond climate risk um, in this broader sense. Um, so that is the last year after the publication of, that, uh, of these expectations, um, we asked the banks to conduct a self-assessment. So we said, okay, now you know what we expect, look at yourself, tell us how, um, uh, how far uh, are you in, in line with these expectations uh, and is there a gap and if so, uh, how, how big is that gap? Um, now, what we found is that some banks have already started to identify and manage um, 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 environmental risks beyond climate, um, such as uh, diversity loss, but also, for example, pollution. Uh, for instance, there was one bank that has started to develop a methodology to measure the biodiversity footprint of its investments and lending portfolios. Uh, others have developed a dedicated group policy, so the, the policy within the, the banking group, uh, regarding the commitments and lending criteria related to biodiversity uh, risks. So that is good news. So we found concrete examples. Um, the bad news was that um, these practices, as we speak, apply uh, actually to very few banks. Um, so we have highlighted this gap uh, with our supervisory expectations, and this is then where we start. Now, next, uh, we will insist that banks start closing this gap. 
um, between the supervisory expectations where they stand today and that they monitor uh, their progress and we will monitor then also that progress. And in doing so, we also point out something that uh, goes to the more positive side of all this, uh, saying that um, there's also benefits for banks to do this. Of course, in terms of the, you know, the risk management, but there's also significant savings um, uh, and that if you take advantage of the, the, the momentum that's already there now in terms of climate risk management, now extend your preparations, your, um, you know, the training of your staff, the capacity building uh, to cover all these risks, climate and environmental risks, uh, and therefore also then to make sure that you are ready as a bank for a new, more concrete supervisory and um, a regulatory uh, because there will be more regulation. This is about the uh, transition risk that uh, Dr. Mayun was already referring to at the beginning, uh, environment. So, so, so there's, there's, there's something to be gained, uh, of course, um, by the world, but also by the specific banking institution, uh, both in terms of its risk management, but also in, cost, in terms of cost saving and, and in terms of taking the opportunities. Um, um, so as concrete next steps, we assess, we will assess how banks are managing their exposures to environmental risks. Um, also this year in a thematic review, which is a, a term of art, but it, it means that you know, it's a fully fledged supervisory review of all the, um, about what is it, 120, 130 banks that are directly under the supervision of the ECB, um, checking how they do vis-a-vis uh, -vis these expectations. Thank you, uh, Nick. Thanks, Frank. Uh, thanks for giving a bit of granularity. Good. So to you, Sylvie, you mentioned uh, that, uh, I mean, we saw that, Frank, that France has actually been, France has been one of the countries, uh, central banks, which actually have been doing work on this. You mentioned the report that uh, your colleague Roman Swartzman did with the uh, uh, the great title of A Silent Spring for the Financial System, question mark. Um, so is there a bit of granularity about what, what you as an institution in the Banque de France are doing on this and some of the insights you're seeing, um, uh, just to get that sort of granularity? Thank you. Well, Nick, as a researcher, you will appreciate my answer because the, 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 the paper you mentioned, The Silent Spring, which is excellent, uh, is a working paper, so it is not a paper uh, engaging the, the Banque de France. And I must confess that there is no official position yet of the bank. But uh, first of all, our researchers are doing a, a great job and it is necessary to, to know what we are talking about before taking a decision. And at the same time, I really believe that we are sometimes going beyond our own position. I, I was looking actually, uh, it is the first Re joint report we wrote with the agency in charge of supervising the markets, the AMF, so the, 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 the supervisory branch of the Banque de France ACPR and the AMF wrote a joint report in December 2020 where there was a focus on biodiversity and where we were looking at what banks are doing. And I don't want to respect to repeat, repeat what, what Frank said, there are some efforts, but they are limited and for this reason insufficient. This is more or less the, the picture, but people are trying to begin. We have also a law, a national law, uh, inviting companies to disclose what they are doing uh, about uh, nature and the dependencies and the impact. We are in this very first phase, but we are determined to continue. If I just add one point, the reason why I'm confident 
It is not only because we, we write good papers as, as the one of today. It is also because if you look at this from the private sector perspective, if you want in the future to have returns and keep clients and recruit good people, you cannot simply ignore uh, the impact of your activity on nature. The young generation, and this is also a message to your students, will not accept to work in companies not caring about nature, climate, uh, human rights, etc. and rightly so. So I really believe it is in everybody's interest to make this progress. We will look at all the aspects today we will have taken the decision. What we are also already doing very concretely is to uh, integrate biodiversity in our non-monetary portfolio, which is, I'm sharing the risk committee, something that it means a lot. Because then you have to look at the returns you have to look at the problems. You have to look at the quality of information. You have the skin in the game. So combining research, skin in the game operation, pressure from the civil society and the companies, I'm sure we will make progress. Thank you, uh, Sylvie. Um, uh, back to you, Otavio. Would you like just to give us a little bit more? You mentioned in your initial remarks uh, about how the Banco Central de Brazil has been has been taking action, and you had some uh, recent um, uh, initiatives which have strengthened your your management of uh, social environment climate risk. Um, would you like to give us a little bit more detail on that before I turn back to Dr. Ma? Thank you. And we had a question, uh, particularly uh, responding to your your comment about. Uh, from Beatrice uh, Klink, uh, to responding to your, your point, obviously, about Brazil being the most biodiverse country uh, in the world, and actually the role the central bank can play to safeguard the, the natural assets. So maybe so, a little bit more from you, Otavio, and then I'll turn to you, Dr. Mark. Okay. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, indeed. Yes. Okay, thank you. Uh, first of all, I'd like to reinforce that Brazil has a long tradition of regulated financial sector aimed at financial risk related to environment issues. Our uh, regulation was enacted in 2014, but we have many actions that we took after this time. Né? One example, uh, regarding more vulnerable biomes, the Amazon, the Sahara, and the Pantanal have different rate treatments in the national forest goals. In this sense, in 2008, we issued a financial regulation imposed extended documentation requirements and more strict conditions for obtaining credit to finance economic activities in this area, in the Amazon beyond, for example. As I, as I mentioned in my initial remarks, another important measure was the financial regulation of the Central Bank enacted in September, last, in last September 2021, which includes social environment and climate risk within the integrated risk management framework of financial institutions in Brazil. Within this financial regulation, biodiversity degradation is explicitly mentioned as an environment risk side by side with air, water, and soil pollution, illegal exploration of natural resources, and other things. Thus, the broad concept of environment risk, including Brazilian prudential regulation, may be taken as an example on how to consider biodiversity risks in the context of the financial sector. More 
recently, we have started to implement a sustainable rural credit bureau. Uh, everybody knows that uh, the Brazilian economy, one of the most important sector here is the, our agriculture sector. Uh, so we implement a sustainable rural credit bureau. Using georeference geo data, this bureau we will check automatically for overlaps within the restricted areas, blocking such operations before they are contract and thus functioning as a second line of defense against non-compliance. Another layer of protection is that by monitoring the application of rural credit resources after operations are contracted using georeference data and database crossings. Uh, we expect these measures to help to reduce irregular land use change and consequently biodiversity loss prevent banks from financial and economic activities that disagree with the environment legislation. I think in another opportunity, uh, we can expose to you uh, how this Sustainable Rural Credit Bureau works. It is very, very interesting. We have many, many information about many things related to the biodiversity and it helped us to, to, to maintain the compliance. It is, a, as I said before, it is a second line of defense against non-compliance. And recently, we opened the data from this bureau to be used in more uh, things related to financial system. So it is uh, like an uh, open banking or open financial uh, issue. So it is, it is a very uh, good example to explain to you. Yeah, that's wonderful, Otavio. And I'm sure, actually, I, I, I could spend another two hours listening more to you about the, the, the Sustainable Rural Credit Programme, and particularly your focus on data, because I think that's, that's really key in all of this, having the data and actually seeing how, how your process can actually act, as you say, as a sort of second line of defence uh, and ensure that um, banks' uh, activities are aligned with environmental regulation. Great. Uh, Dr. Ma, we have, we've had a question, actually, particularly for you, um, particularly around China. And one of the things you didn't mention in your opening remarks is obviously this is a, a, a big year for global biodiversity policy. We, we're going to have hopefully a, a new global biodiversity framework, which will be finalized in Kunming in China. Um, and also we've had a question um, looking from uh, uh, for Bebe Ying, I think, uh, really thinking about that uh, China's sort of financial regulations are being uh, updated at the moment. So is there scope for uh, better inclusion of uh, biodiversity uh, in, in China's sort of financial rules from the central banks and the supervisory bodies? So, so Dr. Ma, maybe more on the what's happening in China, please. Sure. Yeah, on Kunming, it's uh, part of the uh, COP15, uh, which has the first phase and second phase. The first phase was done uh, in October last year, and the second phase uh, uh, will be held in uh, sometime middle of this year. And uh, we're expecting the uh, global biodiversity framework to be agreed uh, during the uh, COP in Kunming, China. And within the framework, uh, um, 
I think uh, some uh, global uh, consensus will be achieved in terms of protecting a certain percentage of the uh, global land and the sea area. Um, and therefore, uh, you know, a lot of efforts from uh, different uh, regulatory bodies will be uh, joined uh, to achieve that goal. In the finance side, I think it, uh, there'll be a uh, key message coming out of Kremlin, uh, which says that uh, we need to drive global financial flows uh, towards nature positive economy. And uh, now back to China itself. Um, now let me talk about two aspects of how green finance uh, should help biodiversity. One is our mobilization, essentially how the financial system mobilizes more private sector money uh, to support nature positive economy. On that part, we have done quite a bit uh, in terms of taxonomy, incentives, and the financial products. And uh, the second aspect is uh, uh, risk assessment, uh, risk management, which is relatively new uh, in China. So back to the first aspect on taxonomy. This is something China developed fairly earlier. We started with the first taxonomy for banking in 2013, second taxonomy for bonds in 2015, and the third taxonomy for the entire economy in 2019. In the latest taxonomy, we do have included uh, already 20 items of nature positive uh, projects. And uh, just give you a few examples of uh, these. Uh, they include items such as uh, sustainable agriculture, sustainable fishery, forestry development, reforestation, development of protected areas, and the wetland developments, and so on. Now, by including these into the taxonomy has immediate benefit, which is uh, uh, the private sector wanted to do so because they can enjoy incentives. Uh, for example, incentive from a central government, low funding uh, uh, facility, a low cost funding facility or interest subsidies from the governments. And uh, also they need to report uh, these activities to regulators. Uh, once the reports are looking good, they got additional incentive um, of having high scores uh, you know, for the particular bank and so on. And uh, the incentive side, uh, we have a uh, few arrangements. One is interest subsidies. For example, for forestry loans, uh, the government offers uh, subsidy for interest payment ranging from anywhere between 1.3 to 3 percentage points. It's quite substantial uh, for a loan of, uh, let's say, starting with 3 or 4% uh, interest rate, you're essentially paying only one-third of the uh, interest uh, from your pocket and the rest of, you know, being paid by the government. And the central bank itself has developed a decarbonization facility last year, providing funding uh, at a cost of only 1.75%, which is much lower than uh, the market. Of course, that facility has not included uh, biodiversity-related projects, but I think in the future, uh, it's possible for us to expand the coverage of central bank facilities um, as well. And the product level, uh, there's quite a bit of innovation uh, in terms of uh, developing blue bonds to help uh, uh, the blue economy and the uh, collateralized uh, loans and bonds um, using, for example, forestry carbon credit as uh, collateral. And they're using uh, entrance income of national parks as collateral so that these activities, uh, whether they are forestry development or natural park development, they will get financing. Uh, on future income. Now, in terms of risk uh, management, so far, some banks have been uh, essentially using the uh, uh, safeguard measures, um, and uh, uh, especially those uh, who have joined the equity principle, 
uh, they are implementing the uh, social risk management system. Under this system, uh, these banks will review the qualification of the proposed lending projects against specific requirements to ensure that uh, the environmental social risks, including biodiversity-related risks, are being addressed. Um, but uh, the new um, topics which we are proposing uh, in the joint study uh, group report today, I think, will generate a lot of new interest in China. As I mentioned to you last time, uh, the China Green Finance Committee, which was set up by the Central Bank, uh, has started its own study group on biodiversity. And we created quite a few research projects. And uh, uh, these projects uh, are very much relevant to risk assessment management. For example, how to measure investment projects' impact on biodiversity and how to conduct uh, risk analysis, uh, including analysis on physical and transition risks and how to report uh, these uh, risks um, in uh, reports to the regulator and to the general public. So all these are what I believe as uh, work we just started, uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to uh, you know, optional, uh, actionable uh, 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 solutions going forward. Fantastic, Dr. Marks. Right. We have uh, more questions uh, coming in, um, and we have, a sort of, I think, a group which are... Uh, really asking sort of what is the read across between this initiative, the statement that the NGFS has made, the actions we've heard about already in a number of countries with other initiatives, uh, not least the, the TNFD, uh, the Task Force and National Disclosure, which obviously came out with its uh, first draft uh, framework uh, quite recently, in fact, last week. Um, and also the Basel Committee, which, as we know, is also undertaking work on climate at the moment. Um, so maybe if we could look at um, those. And then the third area, looking at where, where this could land in a practical sense, is this theme of transition plans. Um, so this is, I think, becoming very familiar in the context of, of net zero on the climate area. Clearly, if we're moving to uh, a nature positive economy, then that's going to be a transition, as, we, as we've heard today, transition benefits, uh, but also for those companies which might be misaligned, there could be risks there. So, so TNFT, Basel, transition plans. Um, Sylvie, could I start with you on the TNFT? Because um, Bonk de France is one of the, the members of this of the forum uh, of TNFT, and your sort of thoughts about um, where that uh, fits into into the solution. Well, for all this, we need uh, data. We need to know what companies are doing. Financial institutions need transparency. So the work done by the TNFT under the chairmanship of David Craig and Elizabeth Bonner. Uh, is of the utmost importance. It is also a very inclusive and interesting method, method working method, where you, together you have market participants, NGOs, uh, international organization, and well, not so many public authorities. So it is, it is, it is very interesting to see how uh, intensively they work. And so we have uh, um, actually seen their, their beta framework 10 days ago. We are working on it. So TNFD can provide a, a strong push uh, on the disclosure side and data, etc. The Basel Committee, the key question is the question of the uh, intertwined uh, relationship between climate and biodiversity. As far as I know, like many others at this stage, they are more climate focused. But as, uh, as Frank uh, reminded us, uh, climate cannot be uh, seen in isolation. And it was also said by Otavio, by Dotama, the 
the, the, the situation of Brazil, where the forest is at the same time uh, a CO2 uh, a shield for all of us worldwide and a place where biodiversity can be destroyed is also a good example. I was in, in Monte Carlo at the beginning of the week for the Monaco Blue Initiative on ocean. And your question on the transition, Nick, is probably the most difficult. I, I cannot answer it uh, in a very simple way. We know more or less what transition for climate is. It is net zero in 2050, 2055. But um, what is ocean positive? What is uh, from a nature related point of view uh, positive in terms of transition? It has to be once again, more uh, modeled region by region. So we are working on that. and. Uh, Thanks for all the contributions and good questions. Uh, we, will, we will see maybe next year or in two years where we can be. If we have more data, if we have good framework put in place by the supervisors and the legislator, I insist legislation is key and it is not in our hand, then uh, we can hope to elaborate step-by-step step what is a transition to a nature uh, neutral thing. And as, as Majun said, uh, the taxonomies adopted in China, adopted in Europe, are also very important tools to go into this direction. Lovely, thank you, Sylvie. Frank, on, maybe on the on the Basel side, because I know you're heavily involved in in that work. Any 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 reflections? Sure. Um, so 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 the Basel Committee is the international uh, forum in which uh, uh, the, the banking regulation is being uh, devised, if you like. Um, so it's it's important because everything that's being decided there then kind of like trickles through um, um, national legislation on on banking supervision. Now the Basel Committee uh, indeed has um, um, started um, the two years ago or so a, a task force on climate related risk um, and has stated very clearly that the entire three pillar framework of the Basel Agreement, which is regulation supervision and disclosure, then on all these three pillars, uh, work is going to be done uh, and is being done now on climate. Now, um, in the second pillar, the supervisory pillar, um, um, a concrete product uh, in draft that we have consulted um, uh, is um, 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 a set of supervisory expectations, just like the ECB has done, but now on the Basel Committee level. Um, and in that consultation, there's a specific question um, on um, uh, the beyond climate, um, environmental biodiversity issues. So actually, um, um, I think actually the formal period to come with uh, reactions might be closed, but we are still looking at many, many reactions we've had. So if any in the audience uh, would like to uh, still take up that, that opportunity and send in their, their comments, uh, there is a specific question on this that will then feed in uh, our work and my hope is actually that uh, we will be able to extend also in, on the Basel um, uh, level uh, but this is uh, of course in the end something for the Basel committee uh, to decide. Maybe on the transition plan really really quickly uh, because I think this is also a very important issue. It's easy for a bank to say, for a CEO of a bank to say in 2050 we will have a climate neutral uh, asset uh, or the balance sheet. This is five, six uh, CEOs down the line. So I can make that promise every day. A transition plan, if it is well devised, means that you're saying, okay, I'll be 
uh, climate neutral by 250, but in five years' time, in 10 years' time, in 15 years' time, I will stand here, here, and there. This is my route to get there. And by the way, I also publish KPIs, key performance indicators, and this is what I will do next year. And I will report on progress. And if I don't make the progress necessary to get to that goal, I will enhance my efforts. That's the transition plan. And that makes an awful lot of sense. It makes it real. Now, um, it also helps us as the supervisor to go to banks and say, okay, let's have a conversation. Let's start with your transition plan. What's the plan? And how? Um, and does it bite? And does it have enough bite? And do you actually get to where you need to go? Now, this is now uh, uh, evolving very quickly. Many uh, banks have actually, you know, voluntarily uh, promised to do so in this framework of the uh, of the G fans the global uh, the, the, the financial alliance on net zero. Um, it's also now being put in the law uh, by uh, here in, uh, in the EU, by the European Commission. Um, um, and my hope is just like, and I will stop here, but just like with all these other things that we have touched upon today, um, scenarios, stress testing, data, uh, supervisory expectations, all the work that we have done in the climate sphere, let's try to, as soon as we can, all that extended to biodiversity and, and nature-related. Um, so also, um, uh, uh, but not exclusively, but also uh, in the sphere of transition plans. Fantastic, thank you. Uh, and, and and Frank, just a quick follow-up. The Would you think eventually that the sort of question of adjusting capital requirements for nature-related risk would come into, into the frame as well? I think that um, in the end, all material risks need to be mitigated, need to be managed, and need to be adequately capitalized. Right. So if we understand that these are material risks, here you have my end. Thank you. Good. Um, Otavio, if I could turn back to you, because actually um, Brazil was one of the first countries really to think about the how the, Basel, the original Basel III framework applied to uh, environmental risks uh, a, few, a few years back. You touched on particularly about a sort of how these questions of uh, environmental risk, biodiversity, climate, social risk as well, how they apply particularly in the, the, the agricultural sector, which obviously is the heart of uh, Brazil's economy. Uh, some of the questions are coming up. One is, do we have a sense of some, maybe some of the tipping points or some of the, 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 the risks which could lead to uh, real, real sort of irreversible change in biodiversity and biomes? Um, uh, so that's a, a first question. And then the question is, is, is how you see um, the role of the central bank going forward in terms of building that uh, sort of a, a food system which really does sustain uh, nature and, uh, and biodiversity. So, Otavia, to you, please. Okay, thank you. Uh, first of all, I would like to, to get one point that Frank said about, uh, okay, you have a target to 2050, but we need to do something now. And uh, I think uh, the supervision has an important role in this process. So we, uh, we must be made a development supervisor to orient to the top, along with the refining tools for both stress and sensitivity tests, as well as scenario analysis that factor in biodiversity loss and bring it together now in step-by-step step and follow the, the all financial institutions to uh, aim the target in 2015. Uh, regarding the, the, the second question, uh, I think the most important is 
to look to uh, central bank mandates. The central bank mandates is related to financial stability. So we do everything we need to do to uh, guarantee the financial stability. Yeah? Uh, and, me, and the Central Bank of Brazil has been doing a lot of things to do. And of course, in this agenda, the Central Bank agenda, we have a lot of uh, uh, positive externality to this uh, topic, uh, involving another players, another stakeholders outside of our perimeter. Né? So uh, when we launch the sustainability pillar in 2020 and enact the, the, the whole framework in 2021, many other stakeholders outside of the, the financial pyramid uh, come to the central bank and uh, help us mm. to implement this in the financial sector. It is too, uh, too important. So focusing in our mandate, financial stability, we will have to expand uh, this topic uh, to the all economy involving many stakeholders around uh, this topic. Fantastic, Otago. I think that really echoes the point uh, Silva was making earlier about the need for this inclusive um, uh, approach. We're coming up at end's time, and, and obviously we haven't been able to answer all the questions there's lots more to be done, but I'd like to maybe ask each of you just for some closing uh, remarks. Um, uh, Sylvie, maybe starting with you in terms of sort of what next? Is this, is this is biodiversity too complex? What, what do we do next in terms of practical steps? Sylvie, just closing remarks, if you may. Um, just a, a few, a, a minute or so, please. Very briefly, it is very complex but we are not going to give up for this reason. Uh, the only thing, the only conclusion we can draw from complexity is that, as I said before, we need to have the right team to have skilled people to work cross-border. And I appreciate that we were Asia, Europe and America together today, even with the UK on board. So Europe at large. Uh, and, and, and we need to go interdisciplinary, uh, maybe to, work with people having competences we don't have, but we cannot tell our children, uh, well, we were not aware because we know, and we cannot just say we were there waiting. And once again, I want to be positive. Yep. There are business opportunities. There are possible returns. There are, there, it means motivation for, for the people involved. So uh, we carry on, even if it is difficult. Thank you. Thank you very much. Complexity is not, is not an excuse for not starting getting the work done. Otavio, a, a closing remark, thought from you, please. Again, I, I will take one point that Silva said, uh, there is a lot of opportunities. Uh, it is an important point that I highlight for financial sector. Look the opportunity in this process. Uh, this is a huge opportunity for business sector. And uh, it is not a, a only a, a obligation, it is a lot of opportunities. So looking ahead, I see that uh, one big thing that we need to, to go ahead is uh, they need to close data gaps. Right. Data gap is very important. Uh, for that, we have a building reliable, granular, consistent and comparable source of data in Brazil, the Sustainable Rural Credit Bureau already offered two reference data for applicable operation, which 
is relevant when biodiversity issues are being considered for the adding and refining data is in this and other modalities of threat within our scope of action. So we need to, to improve uh, the data to, to have a more comprehensive analysis of these uh, risks and how to do with it. Thank you. Thanks, Otavo. Frank, uh, briefly, if I may, I think we might be uh, coming up to the end now. Thank you, Frank. Very briefly. We talked about very concrete, necessary, technical, difficult, complex steps. Yeah. Um, taxonomies, scenarios, um, uh, the data, you name it. All that needs to be done. But it needs to be done rea realizing that we are talking about something vitally important. And when I say vitally, I mean vitally important. This is about life on our planet. We are almost too late. It is super urgent. And we can do this, but we also must do this. Fantastic. And last word to you, uh, Dr. Ma. Arjun. Thank you, Nick. I think given that uh, it's so complex, uh, it requires a lot of collective efforts uh, of many different agencies within the countries. I think we need to uh, work uh, with the environmental regulator, with uh, uh, agencies that's regulating uh, those activities that's polluting and destroying biodiversity. So it's not a standalone thing that uh, the financial regulator can achieve. And uh, internationally, I think we need to mobilize support of a lot of international organization platforms, each is specializing in certain aspects. Uh, for example, as you mentioned earlier, the disclosure piece, uh, we mm -hmm. may need to elevate that to ISSB uh, for them to include biodiversity-related information in their future work. Right. And for NGF itself, I think it's already being considered that the biodiversity-related risk and its analysis uh, will be a part of the program uh, for NGFS. And for IPSF, which is developing uh, uh, sort of a reference for uh, taxonomy, I think uh, some sort of uh, 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 analytical framework for including biodiversity into uh, the taxonomies will be useful uh, coming out of IPSF. Fantastic. Well, uh, Marjun, uh, Sylvie Goulard, Frank Alderson, Otavio Damaso, um, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Thanks to the, the over 100 people who contributed to the report. Thanks to the many hundred who contributed to this event. Um, I think this is perhaps we could look back in the day when nature-related financial risks, biodiversity-related financial risks really arrived as a practical issue, as we've heard from all our speakers today, for central banks and supervisors to join. Uh, I'd like to add my thanks to, to all the people on the study group, uh, the core team uh, at the NGFS Secretariat at the LSE who've made this all possible. Uh, and let's continue the dialogue. A recording of this uh, this presentation, this event, uh, will be made available as soon as possible. So, with that, I'd like to thank you all for joining, uh, and please have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye, -bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the LSE Events Podcast on your favorite podcast app and help other listeners discover us by leaving a review. Visit lse.ac.uk forward slash events to find out what's on next. We hope you join us at another LSE event soon.